What's up, guys? Christopher, it's good to see you. What is up? What's, what's up, dog? <laughs> yeah. Sweet. So, <laughs> remind me to put that back. Awesome. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Yay. Hey, well, welcome to Chi Alpha, Chi Alpha Redeemer. That's what we titled this one. It's the title of the sermon, by the way. Kyle Fab Redeemer. Hope everyone's doing good. Um, you guys have been having fun with the uh, selection of all these really cool ODGs we've been doing all summer. It's been pretty cool. Yeah. Actually, I sing them all the the recordings of everything. <laughs> Sweet. So tonight we're going to talk about another one. We're going to be uh, looking at. Uh, another cool hero of the faith in kind of a different, unique way, um, specifically because of how impactful and significant his work was to the world. And so I'm pretty sure you've heard of this dude, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, John Ronald Ruel Tolkien. Um, he's most popular, he's famous for The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and for being friends with C.S. Lewis, is what he's really known for. And, um, Good friends with Lewis, and who's another fantastic writer. And I just, I, to me, they're heroes of the faith. And I really wanted to just like think and talk about just Tolkien's life, but also mostly because I've been reading a little bit about it. But it's just cool to see that um, it's it's almost like they're men that are like in the marketplace, uh, like missionary, like that's their mission field, because um, they weren't. Technically, like, they, they worked at universities and they wrote, like, you know, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and Narnia, and stuff like that. But their view of God was um, still represented uh, in their work. And Lewis wrote all kinds of stuff, like we know, he, he writes other good books, too. But Tolkien really invested in fairy tales, fairy stories, is what he called it. And we would call it, like, the fantasy, you know, world or idea. Um, however, recently I've started reading a lot more of his like essays, like stuff that he had to say about like the reason why he wrote what he wrote. And um, it's really cool because I highly recommend it. This one's uh, Tolkien on fairy stories. Super cool. It's like 12 bucks. Um, if you click the link down below on the YouTube video, um, it'll send you right to the Amazon link. You'll get a discount. If you put my name, you'll get 20% off. Yes, yeah, so hit that bell notification button on the screen if you want to see more. So uh, I highly recommend this because I had no idea that all a lot of his work and all, pretty much all of his work was a lot more intentional than I thought. Um, Tolkien was probably not, I mean, the most perfect Christian like all of us, but he definitely understood the weight of the gospel and the aim of the Bible from a literature perspective. And so his life ultimately centered around the gospel, even though his work had nothing to really do with ministry itself, which is pretty cool. And so now that I'm sure if, um, I'm not sure if like Tolkien's intention for all of his writings was like straight off the bat entirely based off the gospel, but, or I, I'm not really too sure if like he just had like a hit in the moment where he just was like, whoa, I just realized something. The gospel is probably one of the greatest stories ever told. Um, and it's the most beautiful story. And Tolkien says, like, the Bible is this alternate story world, but with the claim to be true. And that our imagination is this, this unique ability to view the world as we know it differently. 
And so if we can bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight, God. We thank you for just um, letting us be able to meet, Lord. Letting us be able to uh, spend time to worship you, God. And to be able to um, just view uh, your word differently, God, to be able to hear another different side of the gospel, Lord, to hear a different side of uh, perspective, God. And, and Lord, we thank you for all the lives that we have to look up to, God, these, these lives that um, just in the mundane, everyday work that they, they, they these uh, people walked through, Lord, these people and heroes of the faith that we call them, Lord, we thank you for uh, their faithfulness, Lord. And um, Lord, I pray that we have the same strength, Lord, and the same um, the same compassion and compellingness to uh, jump into being called to the same thing and um, being doers of the word, Lord. We thank you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Tolkien did a lot of refer- uh, reflecting on the power of alternate story worlds, like um, like all this, like to shape and influence people's ideas and people's imagination on what we would call like the natural world to us, like the world that we live in. And he wrote this essay on fairy stories and its whole purpose was because he wanted to reflect on the question, well, why am I writing about fairy stories? Like he, he wanted to be able to answer that. And uh, kind of like what we say all the time, like why do we do the things we do and who do we do it for? Yeah. It's a good like reflection on just uh, what we think about um, while we're in the middle of doing stuff. and. For him, it was probably like, well, what am I doing trying to shape people's imaginations? Like, what am I doing writing about Middle Earth or creating a different language? And he gives us this insight on why the power of imagination plays such a a large role in a Christian's life. And reading this book, I thought it was just, there's so much in it that I literally can't understand at all. Like, it's stuff on, like, here's the origins of the word fairy. And, like, it's, like, 17 pages, and I don't understand half of it, the different language stuff. And he like uses his own language in the book as if he's like assumes you know all of like I mean you're just like oh yeah I totally get it like Scroggins probably does I read it and I'm like skip that word can't pronounce it skip that word um, but there's some really awesome stuff I had to like go and watch YouTube videos and like to get a, a better grasp of certain things but um, one of his first um, basically steps of ideas of like thinking through um, like how the Bible is written why the Bible is written why he writes stories the way he writes why stories are told the way they're told is he looks at these words recovery escape and uh, consolation and the first one's recovery and we're going to kind of just look at these points that he gives us to see kind of what he's talking about Tolkien says with imagination people have the potential to recover a view of the world that they almost certainly have lost so in the first five to ten years of life, right? Like, we're amazed with the world, where everything's really cool. Like, our, our imagination develops, like, while we're, like, seeing snow fall for the first time. And we're like, wow, that's so beautiful. For us, it's either no snow or a bunch of snow, and everything freezes. Um, or it's, like, after heavy rain, and then we, like, look into the sky and see this, like, weird shape of, like, colors. And we're like, wow, what is that? And it's, it's a rainbow, and the world is so full of wonder and mystery, and there's so much more you can like look at that you're just like, where do we live? It's so cool, it's fascinating. And this world is like full of new experiences, and when you're a kid, it, it like pushes a child's like ideas of what's possible, right? Um, like for me, growing up, it was like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, and like superheroes too, but like growing up in pretending like a stick was a lightsaber was like one of the coolest things about my memory. Like, and 
I mean, for me, like as a Jedi, like I was some like really short Mexican Asian looking Jedi, but I was like like that all the time. Like I'd find the coolest like shaped stick, and it was awesome. Um, and then for me, like, and I have a picture. I think uh, Richard, if you could post my, this is a picture of me as a kid. Whenever I was, I would dress up as uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, and then so. For me, it was either a normal stick to find the right lightsaber, right? But, I mean, like, if I found, like, if I find the right shaped bow, like, a branch that looked just like a bow, I immediately turned into, like, a short and capable version of Legolas. Can you put, can you, there you go. That's another picture, and, like, it's the same, I make the, I made the same face a lot as a kid. That's just my face. But, um, and apparently I, like, so for me, I was, like, yeah, his names were like Orlando. Like I just assumed he was like Hispanic. Um, so apparently, uh, I mean, he's played by Orlando Bloom. If you guys have ever heard of him, also on Pirates of the Caribbean, um, I thought he was like Hispanic, but I don't know. He's not, and so I thought we had something in common. And I found out a couple hours ago that we don't, and so I deleted a bunch of stuff and then started crying a little bit. Um, we have nothing in common now. <laughs> Thanks. But uh, you can take those, you can keep those pictures up, it's up to you. Uh, anyways, there are so many possibilities as a child, right? Like your imagination just soars, everything's fun. And we become like, I mean, I think over time, like we become a little bit uh, like enculturated, we get older, right? And we kind of grow a little bit bored to the things that we used to love. Like I go from my dad getting upset with me for playing with sticks rather than Nerf guns to getting a little older and then getting in trouble for, or then playing with Nerf guns rather than the sticks. And so like, and then it just kept going on and on. Like, and I remember my dad, we had like a whole room full of Nerf guns, but we chose to go outside and play with the sticks and rocks instead. Um, but times change and so do we. But Tolkien says the power of imagination is to help people recover a view of the world that they've lost. We've lost this, this wonder, right? Like this awe. And Tolkien's application of recovery in his work was to take elements of the ordinary, right? And to open them up to make them full of wonder and mystery again. For an example, uh, he uses character in Lord of the Rings. He uses like trees, for an example, Middle Earth. Um, he uses his character Tree Beard. He's an int, and he's not really like a tree, but he technically is kind of a tree. Um, he looks like a tree, tastes like a tree, and barks like a tree. He's a shepherd of trees, is what he is. And so it's, he's, just, he's a different type of trees. And um, uh, some of you guys didn't get that. And, uh, and it's such like an imaginative, simple thing in his work, like in his world that he creates, to where like all of a sudden now I like go out, I mean not in San Angelo, but if I'm ever like somewhere where there's trees, I'm like, wow. And I can just stare. And like San Angelo is different because you get trees that are like, they're, they're not really taller than me, so they're like under 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, and so they're like really small. Wow, so laughing real hard at that one. So, and I think that this is one of the goals of the Bible, right? Like, think about how the Bible talks about creation when it talks about creation, right? Like, did you know that there's not really one passage that talks about or explores the idea of creation of the world that doesn't describe it in like a poetic way, like it uses elements of poetry? And I think it's really cool, and Tolkien talks a lot about poetry in this book, but um, like poetry has no physical like utility. It's not like super useful. Yeah. It's not really the most like, I don't know, easiest thing to understand for some people. Like if you ever read poetry, you either get it or you don't, it feels like, and that's about it, or you pretend you get it. Yeah. You probably, 
Yeah, anyways, that's different. You're probably a barista or something. You're like, yeah, I was kidding. Uh, I'm not calling you out. That's just funny to me. Um, but poetry has like no utility. There's not really use. But its motive is to deepen and uh, to deepen the engagement with people's imagination. Yeah. Like for example, like God's presence. Like if you like read scripture, you like hear the things about God's presence or His Spirit or like the breath um, or animates and sustains all creation. Like you get like all these descriptions, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of them is, and we'll like quickly run through it just because I wanted to kind of give you something to like know, but Psalms 104, 29 to 30, it's just, this whole passage, all of Psalms is kind of the same, like, as far as like being really beautiful. <laughs> um, but Psalms 104 says, when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And so Psalms 104, like just in that small snippet, the whole rest of it, like talks a little bit more about death and, um, a little bit more about like life in different ways but it's really cool to just get like a snippet and see that it's like equating breath to like the human spirit in a poetic way so that the next time you take a break uh, a breath like as a reader the next time you take a breath or the next time you see the wind or you see the air that you think of god and yeah some of you guys are probably sitting there like really andrew you see the air see, see the wind you silly goose but with the right imagination you can okay and that one's for free. So anyway, so the next time you think of like God, the next time you're thinking of is like, of I don't know, like life. I don't know if you ever sit there and uh, there's a sermon I heard like it was making fun of this because it was like not really making fun of it, but pointing out something funny. Like whenever you like see an animal give birth, you're not like ah, oh, there's God's presence. Like it's something that's like you're like oh God. <laughs> But you don't just think of like the wind itself, right? Like you, you think of something a little deeper than that. You think of it in a way that it's animating life all around you because it's the breath of God and it's active and it's, it's there. Yeah. And so, and that's just one example in scripture. Um, but like to think about the Bible, like how it helped you, like if you have read the Bible and if you, if you think of ideas, how it has helped you and it's like reshaped and recovered certain views of the world that maybe you had lost, right? Like you've rediscovered it in a, new, in a new way with different appreciation. And so, and that's, that's what recovery, that's what Tolkien is talking about. <laughs> so the next, one, the next one's escape. So he uses, Tolkien uses this word escape. Yeah. Um, escape also, by the way, I, I know this is a weird way to point this out. Um, I think it's really, really funny how really bland and uncreative my slides are because I made them last minute. And I thought it was funny just because I'm talking and like going through Tolkien's life who creates this beautiful, magical um, Anyways, enjoy my slides. Um, so Tolkien says like this idea of escape, he says it's a very important role in the world of imagination. And for us, we might think like, it, like escape, what is it like, like to like pretend something doesn't exist. but. Tolkien says it's not to like escape as in like disengaging from the world, but actually doing the opposite. To escape is one of the most like valuable things as a human that we can do to process and sometimes even like protest uh, what's going on in the real world that we live in. Yeah, like it's this idea of thinking like, well, what if things could be a little bit different? And Tim Mackey, he uses this uh, example whenever he talks about like, this um, area of like thinking uh, like outside of the world that we live in. 
Um, he gives us this example of, have you guys read that book, Where the Wild Things Are? Yeah. It's not like the best book at all. I just flipped through it and I was like, it's cool. But you see like this little Max boy like dressed up as a wolf and like gets in trouble for being, um, I don't know, destructive or being a wolf. I don't know. Like he's just like smashes up. They're like, go to your room, right? And so Max gets in trouble and he goes to his room and when he goes to his room, he imagines a world where the, where the wild things are, yeah. right? And so we can view it, we can view like what Max is doing as like an escape. Like, oh, he's just not dealing with the real world. But, but Tolkien describes the idea of escape as like, there are things in the, wor in the world worth being disappointed about. Yeah. There are things in the world worth escaping. Like for Max, the hierarchy of his parents, but there are things like in the world worth protesting. And saying, what if things could be different? Mm -hmm. It's our imagination that enables us to think about the world, um, like how it could be different from this, from what we're seeing. And there's so many examples nowadays where you can kind of walk through that, like just all over social media or something. But this idea of imagining a world that the Bible is describing to us, it's imagining a world free of the things that plague our world. Yeah. Like we have alcoholism, sex trafficking, poverty, drug addictions, or world hunger. And Tolkien would ask you, can you imagine a world without those things? And if you can't imagine a world without those things, then you'd probably not, you're probably not going to be able to do anything about those things. So Tolkien also asks the question, uh, what would the world look like if these things didn't exist or if these things maybe changed possibly yeah. Yeah. it's the idea of escape it's the idea of thinking outside of those this world yeah and this storytelling um and the storytelling of the bible is kind of the exact same uh same way it's it's the story not to escape so that we can disengage with the world but to engage with the world because we believe in a different kind of world than the one we live in with different possibilities like where they like a um, different possibilities like has become real from the story of the gospel, like the things that we're reading about. And Paul says it this way, like when he quotes uh, Hebrew poets and he is talking to the people of Corinth, and he's trying to give them to like have this ability to be able to view the a different outcome of like life and eternity and death. Like he's trying to go through this with them. This is First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty one to fifty five. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immorality. When the perishable has become clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And what Paul is trying to do here is like ask us, like, can you imagine yeah. a world where death doesn't have the last, like, the last say? Yeah. And um, what the gospel is trying to do when you're reading it is to ask, ask um, is it possible that the real world that we live in might not be the real intended world. What if everything the Bible says is real? This is allowing, it, start, it begins to allow the people to step out of their position of their real world so that they can entertain a new view. 
And so Paul's trying to describe this to the uh, people of Corinth, and he's Paul says, like, be strong, let nothing move you. The, the gospel allows you to have more than just last, uh, like a last breath. Like, just, it's more than just death, is what he's trying to say. So, and he's trying to do that so that the people that he's speaking to, the people of the church of Corinth, can, like, feel empowered or, like, encouraged to engage in their worlds around them. Yeah. He says the gospel, um, he says that the gospel that we live in a world where death doesn't have the last word, so he's kind of asking them, like, so what are you going to do with those last hours? Like, he talks about the last trumpet and stuff. Like, what are you going to do? So it's like, escape is a form of, of protest from this so-called real world that we live in. We're filled with so many things, work and, and materialistic things that we're being caught up with. They're just movies or entertainment, social media. And it's like, escape is like just to put it away or step out of that and to think and to think of something that could be different. So escape is a form of protest. This is, um, it's the ability to see what's going around us and desire to see it saved from its own uh, reality. And so, and I, that part really, uh, if, if anything sticks out to you with escape, um, for me it's that, like, it is, it's a strong desire to see the world that we live in, the world around us, and to see it saved from its own reality. And so the last idea that uh, Tolkien talks about is consolation. It's basically the idea of like an ha a happy ending, right? Like we all like happy endings. So that's why we watch what we watch. That's why we like um, read the books that we read or whatever it is. Listen to people's stories when they like tell it to us. We're like waiting for like that part where like, all right, get to the good part already. Like we want to hear a happy ending or a good ending to, to the story. And we see movies like, Wally, or we've seen The Lion King, or we've watched all these like 48 Marvel movies, or something like we've we've seen them all, right? And so, uh, look if you like, I don't know, you can watch the movie Tolkien, it's okay. But if you like read on Tolkien's life and like see that his mom, like he was basically raised with these stories, like every night his mom would just like tell him a different story, like either read him something or just make up something, and he gave like a really good value to a happy ending like he gave a, a really good value to something that he would call not cheap <laughs> like um he would say like it doesn't do justice to the characters it doesn't do justice to the story so tolkien creates a word you catastrophe it's this the happy disaster is what he calls it he makes this word up and where it applies is that in good stories there are happy endings resolve uh where happy endings resolve with a catastrophe they resolve with some sort of disaster some sort of uh, like death or downfall or someone like tolkien gives us the lord of the rings for an example right if you've ever read or seen lord of the rings it's not the most happiest ending right like you're kind of sad for a lot of moments of the, the ending of it and it's because of all this suffering and hardship that frodo has to go through just to destroy this like little ring right there's so much more to unpack there and there's like so much more weight to it it's just like realistic way that evil looks it's not ignoring it or giving it a oversimplified quick fix to evil it's um it's saying that there's something deep in our soul that we know that that evil cannot win mm -hmm. otherwise this world isn't worth living in there's something deep in our bones that believe good always prevails. And Tolkien says, in literature, the ability to invent, um, the ability to invite people into a different view of the world 
through creativity or imagination is to provide a you catastrophe where the hero suffers or dies. And the happy ending is not cheap at all or easy to obtain, but where grace is the only resolution for that suffering or injustice. And so Tolkien uses grace because he says that's the thing you would have never expected. It's like, um, he says it's like the catch of the breath and then being resolved by a sigh of relief. Like it's something that's like comes out of nowhere and you're like, oh, there, there's no way they'll make it out of this. And then the only, the, the only way they make it out of it is, is like this crazy miraculous way where the character, Frodo's not the strongest one. Like if you watch the movies, like especially as a kid growing up or if you read the books, like all the other characters are tough. All the other characters are like more adventurous and outdoorsy than he's like the least likely one to make it out of, out of this alive. And it's just this sigh of relief at the end. And he says, when you're doing this, you're giving people a taste of something that's beyond any imaginative world we can come up with. And in this essay, this is where Tolkien just flat out starts being a Christian or starts like talking about the gospel. He says, every happy ending that you'd ever heard of or ever seen at any resolution of a story is actually pointing to something beyond beyond our human imagination, even his. The greatest and most compelling story, the greatest and most compelling happy ending is the gospel. He says that sigh of relief, what if life could actually be like this? He says it is like that. And that's why we constantly are compelled by these stories, like with the happy ending and then these catastrophes, these these heroes that barely make it out alive because in little ways it mirrors the gospel it mirrors us or it mirrors uh, the sacrifice that Jesus makes there's things and elements in there and Tolkien's way of impacting the world um, the reason why I just he's just a great influence um, along with a lot of other writers is he does this through his imagination and for us, like, there's a way of escape, and it's not just like head in the clouds, right? It's not just like this idea, but it's real. And to help people recover that view of the world full of mystery and wonder all over again, it's an exciting thing to be a part of. It's an exciting thing to see that like glow on someone's face, right? And to experience real resolution to what we view as suffering, right? To experience something that could be resolved by grace and grace alone even through a catastrophe, even through a disaster. And just, yeah, just thinking about that, I think about how so many people will read books or watch movies or these TV shows as kind of an escape. And a lot of books and a lot of shows will kind of just not include certain things that are in our real world. Like they're, they're imaginative. They're, there's a reason why people like to read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. It's not the same political stuff that we have or the same... Um, disasters, the same addictions that we have in this realm, in this world. And it was Tolkien's life's work to emphasize the power of creativity and imagination, to ultimately point to this, the most compelling story that he had ever heard. We hold in our hands, like the Bible, we hold in our hands the world's most powerful source of literature, influence, and imagination that the world has ever seen. It's greater than, honestly, it's greater than any of these other things, these other books. Even Tolkien says, like, his imagination and his, uh, like, methods of literature literally just cannot compare. And it's because the Bible isn't just some book, right? 
And the best part about it is that it's more than a book. And so I wanted us to like look at these ideas that Tolkien gives us, these ideas of recovery, escape, and uh, consolation, with the view of how this changes the way that we imagine our life, right? Like our purpose or our future, even our suffering, um, maybe our, our jobs or our careers or our house, whatever it is that we're struggling with or what's hard, that it changes the way we view these things. But most importantly, I hope that this affects the way that we view God's word. Do we truly inspect and value the radical idea of the gospel, the story of the gospel? Are we viewing God's world the way that he views it, the way that we were intended to view it and to be a part of it? And some of you might have heard it this way, that God's, um, I rephrase a little bit, but God's word is not for bad people to just become good, but for dead people to become alive. And that's exactly the point here is that, that we're trying to make, that I'm trying to make, is that the gospel is a story compelling enough to bring people to life. That's unlike anything we could even encounter, anything we can come up with. I can't write a book, Tolkien can't write a book, Lewis can't, that can bring life into someone. Not this way. He says, like, it's, it's this truth, and it's so powerful, and it's living. He says it's a reality that should be folklore or a fairy tale, but yet it's real. It's the truest reality we can experience, and so it changes us. It makes us new. It transforms us as we read it, as we soak in it, as we meditate on the Word every day. This wonderful story of the gospel. And the band can go ahead and come back up. And I want us to kind of spend some time in this last song, whatever we're going to sing. Um, I don't. I want us to spend some time like thinking about our relationship to God. The first true uh, fairy tale. The first true uh, fairy tale to life. Do we imagine our world with the same use of recovery and escape Tolkien shared with us? Recovering and rediscovering our first love. Constantly filled with awe and wonder, thinking this life right here, it's, it's not the life that we we're intended for. There has to be more to this. And so I just want us to think about, do we, do we live as if we're experiencing or we're living in um, a way that we believe the true happy ending is real? Do we live as if we've just encountered the first true fairy tale? And so I'll go ahead and pray, and then we can, I don't know what it's going to look like for you guys. You can, I don't know, worship or pray or um, talk to whoever you need to talk to, but I just want to spend some time reflecting on that. It's, it's different to be able to meditate and to think about the story of the gospel, how just insane it is, how crazy and how unreal it is. Because sometimes it, I want us to do this because sometimes it doesn't feel like it's really real. Sometimes, especially in the summer, reading's hard. It's hard for me to read the Bible. <laughs> like sometimes I'm like, I'm reading it and then I'm like, man, this like this part's a little, I'm, I'm dry, or I didn't really get anything out of it. But, like, to read something living is different. We can bow our heads. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the things that you've given us, the tools, the, the scripture, the 
influence in the people of, and the heroes of faith that we have, God. Lord, we thank you that we have so many examples to be able to see how we're supposed to live this out. To see what salvation and sanctification looks like on a daily basis, Lord. Lord, I pray that we're influenced, God, and we're encouraged to treat our work life, our work life differently, Lord. To treat the, the view that we have on the world around us, the, the, the nature of things, Lord, but then also the, the beauty of people, God, that we treat everything differently in your world. And not just out of respect, God, but, but out of love and out of thankfulness and grace. Lord, just being so humbled, Lord, by, by the world that you've created. Lord, we're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful to have a story that's paired with us, Lord, in our walk of life that, that leads to more life and not just death, Lord. That you raised from the grave. And the, that power that you have, Lord, that power that raised you from the grave, Lord, it lives within us, Lord. And that we get to have a relationship with you, Lord, in a way that we can't have with anyone else or any other books or movies or uh, just different ways of and, and viewing entertainment, Lord, that we use that to just take in so much. But Lord, we get to actually sit in awe and wonder and speak to you, God, and to have a living, active relationship of community. We thank you for being our Father. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.